Well, good morning, Mitchell Road Church. It is a joy to be here. I'm Jacob. I'm the husband to Caitlin. We have a mini Australian shepherd. We love him very much. He's not here this morning. Uh, We're trying to figure out the whole covenant child situation with him. Uh, I serve as youth director here at the church. Andy's away in Florida. He hasn't retired, um, but he's speaking at a conference. So that's where he is, uh, and he sends uh, his greetings. The scripture we're going to be looking at today is in John chapter 11. John chapter 11. The first half of the Gospel of John is about the signs that Jesus performs. And each time he performs one of these signs, they point to his divine nature and his purpose in taking on flesh. That people would believe in him and that they would have life. The second half of John's gospel goes in about his death and resurrection. So in John chapter 11, it's recorded the very last of his seven signs in the first half of the gospel of John. Each time he performs one of these signs, people either believe in him or they reject him. And at the same time, the Jewish authorities mount a stronger and stronger conviction that they must kill Jesus. The Passover, which takes place in Jerusalem, is also coming up where we are in our text. And Jesus is kind of laying low right now so the authorities don't get a hold of him and put him to death. But it's not his time yet. And yet, he's still going to go to Jerusalem to fulfill all righteousness. He's got every intention to go there, even though he means, he knows that it means death. So if you're in John chapter 11, starting in verse 1, it's a big chapter, so just listen. We'll skip down a couple times to different verses. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, verse 3. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Picking back up at verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Martha then goes and gets Mary, and we can imagine that she's almost like whispering to her, Hey, Jesus is near. And so Mary leaves where she's supposed to be mourning, And she goes and meets Jesus, just like Martha did, falls at his feet in verse 32 and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, 
Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. The Washington Post recently ran an article called COVID-19 Makes Us Think About Our Mortality. Our brains aren't designed for that. Thinking about death makes us uncomfortable. That eerie feeling has been described as grief, fear, or anxiety. But Sheldon Solomon, a social psychologist and professor at Skidmore College, he describes it this way. It is the existential anxiety caused by reminders of our own mortality. To cope with this, we do what has been coined terror management theory. We know death is unavoidable, but we happen to like living. And so we experience discomfort. In other words, we know that we are going to die, so to cope with it, we go into existential dread, denial, or distraction. Solomon the social psychologist being interviewed, he suggests another way that we can think about it. Here's here's what he proposes. He says, think about it like this. I am an infinitesimal speck of carbon-based dust born in a time and place not of my choosing here for an incredible brief amount of time before my atoms are scattered back into the cosmos. That need not be a terrifying thought. Do you feel comforted yet? (laughs) In layman's terms, we're simply stardust Try not to think about it too much. Martha and Mary were mourning in their home. Do you think that would have comforted them? And they had already buried their brother. They're on day four of a 30-day grieving process. They hired professional grievers to come who wail out loud. They hired professional musicians to come to help play music, to help them grieve. Uh, We all know that we're going to die, that we must face death. But without Christ, we cannot face death well. Without Jesus, we are actually doomed to look upon death always in an unsatisfactory way. We will either dive into terrible existential dread, dig our heels in denial about its reality, or drive ourselves as deep as possible into distractions. See, if we are just stardust then we actually have to create our own meaning for life as well. And that may sound exciting for a moment, but I think you'll come to agree with Solomon that if we are just stardust, it's just best not to think about it too much. But if it's true that we are more than stardust, if we're created in the image of God, then you will not be able to avoid the three pitfalls of coping with death. And so Jesus understands our dilemma. He understands Mary and Martha's dilemma. 
wherever you are, if you're facing death, if you've recently faced it, if it's something that troubles you, he understands. He understands what we are going through. So he tells us in verse 25 that he is the resurrection and the life. And if that's true, brothers and sisters, the opposite is also true. That without Jesus, there is no life. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, we must believe in Jesus to face death. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, we must believe in Jesus to face death. This morning we'll look at three reasons for why trusting in Jesus changes how we face death. How he loved, how he wept, and how he ultimately raised. Firstly, how he loved. In verse 3, if you'll look with me at verse 3. The sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now where did Mary and Martha get the motivation to send to Jesus for help? Jesus at this point in the story, uh, he's back near the east side of the Jordan where John the Baptist was baptizing people at the beginning of his ministry. He's like two days away from Bethany at this point when he receives word of this. He's not even in the same place. Why did they think that Jesus cared about their family problem? Think for a moment. Why would they have the motivation to reach out to Jesus? Who do you reach out to in times of need? You reach out to those who love you and who you love. You reach out to friends. You reach out to family, your pastor, your journey group leader, your community group leader, a mentor, a coach, a teacher, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were friends. They knew each other. They had a history together. It's because of the love that Jesus has for them that motivates Mary and Martha to send to him for help. Hey, our brother isn't doing so well. Times are hard. Would you come? Calvin points out that it's from the love of Christ for Lazarus that his sisters entertain a confident hope of obtaining Assistance. Now, in all friendships and relationships, you have to have reciprocity. And so it's not just Mary and Martha going, we love you, Jesus, you're so great. In verse 5, it tells us, John kind of peels the curtain back a little bit and shows us how Jesus says that he loved them as well. Now, let's say I'm interviewing three runners real quick. And I ask the first runner for their motivation to run, and they say, you know, My doctor told me that I'm out of shape. I need to get in shape, so I'm running. Fair enough. Not a bad reason. The second runner says, well, you know, I'm trying to impress this girl. There's a big race coming up. I think that's what I'll do. That'll impress it. Okay, not bad. The third runner, I say, why do you run? And he goes in this whole Eric Little thing about, like, the wind through his hair and the pounding of the pavement and the straining of his muscles. And he's, and I'm like, I get it, man. I get it. Like, you love running. But that last runner... If he doesn't do well in a race, will he quit? If he doesn't get the girl, will he quit? If he doesn't see the results that he wants in his life, health-wise, as quickly as possible, will he quit? No. Uh, He loves running. Likewise, Mary and Martha know that they can trust Jesus, not because times are easy, not because the weather is good, but because he loves them. If you get injured... You can count on Jesus to be there. He loves you. For some of you, you don't doubt that Jesus will show up. Uh, You trust Jesus. 
You know that he loves you. But like Martha and Mary, you are troubled with why he doesn't show up quite when you want him to. Why doesn't Jesus come to the rescue before things get worse? Jesus said in verse 4 that this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus, knowing that he'll raise Lazarus, he does not rush to get there. Because Jesus knows that healing is not heaven. Jesus knows that healing is not heaven. He knows that even if he rushes to get there, Lazarus one day will still die. And so Lazarus, instead of just being uh, another person in the time of history, Lazarus is a part of the last sign that Jesus performs before going to his own death. John retains such details that we might understand just how much God cares, that we would see him care personally. He listens to what both Martha and Mary say, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And he is moved by their sorrow. Jesus gives himself because of his love in your sorrow. Can you trust him? Do you trust him with your biggest and most painful worries? What about in the face of death? This is recorded for you. Remember, this is recorded for you that you may believe and have life. Others of you were raised in the church and you become aloof to the serious business of love. Uh, You try not to think about it. It's too hard. If I begin to love others again, I know that I will just, I'll just be hurt. And so you guard yourself off from it. Listen, if you are a follower of Christ, it is not an option to negate love for others. It's not just about receiving it. We're to give it as well. And if this is how you live, I want to ask you to cry out to God to soften your heart. Mary and Martha didn't know how Jesus would respond to their request, but they knew that he loved them. We do not know the results of what will happen in our life, but we have to continue to love. You don't have to live in denial about death to protect yourself. Jesus really does love you. Uh, If this is a particular difficult area of your life, That Jesus loves you. That it's not just Bible or Gospel 101, but it is the deep riches of our faith. Uh, We have a course called Sonship. I have no idea how you would sign up particularly, but reach out to Curtis Du Bois. Some of you, many of you have gone through it. Learn about the love that God has for you. For those of you who have been hurt by such trite sayings, like, don't worry about it. Hey, everything will be okay. Uh, Listen, Jesus cares. I know that feeling. I too have felt the hurt of trite sayings. But Jesus' love is not trite. It is deep. It is because of his love that he will give up his own life. Uh, Some of you block yourself off to the possibility of a life with love. You cope with death by distractions. I, you know, I'm... You're like, this guy's so young. What does he know about death? What does he know about love? What does he know about life? Listen, you're right. I don't know all the things. But Christ does. And he shows us that we must receive his love. We must give it as well as receive it. It's not enough just to live 
without love. We must live life according to how Jesus is life. And his life is full of love. In verse 36, we see how the love of Jesus was recognized by even the other Jews that are around that don't know the deep friendship of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. In verse 36, the Jews say, see how he loved him. We're like those people on the outside looking in. We can see how Jesus loves. Because of the love that Jesus has for us, we must trust in him. If we do this, we can face death knowing that our pain or the pain of others is not devoid of God's love. He came down. He showed up. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. You can face death differently and better and actually well, knowing that God's love is not absent in your sorrows. Reason two, because Jesus wept. Uh, Dane Ortland in Gentle and Lowly says that Jesus breaks down twice in the Gospels to weep, and neither time is for himself, but out of sorrow over another. Ortland says this, What was his deepest anguish? The anguish of others. What drew his heart out to the point of tears? The tears of others. Verses 33 and 38 specifically show us that his weeping was not out of a despondent grief, He didn't get caught up in the moment and lose himself. No, he's weeping at the moment. Well, let's look. Why is he weeping at the moment? Verse 33. Here's what it says in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit. Deeply moved. Uh, If you look through different commentators, you'll find that this word here is like he's... He's angry. He's indignant. He's mad. And so we ask ourselves, how can Jesus be angry and mad? Isn't he supposed to be soft, gentle, and lowly? Well, because here he is. He's two miles. He's closer to Jerusalem where he knows that he'll be tried, where where he knows that he will end up in a tomb like Lazarus. The irony of the situation is stark, but it's not humorous. It shadows the righteous anger that he has against all that is wrong in our world. Sin entered the world and brought with it the penalty of death. Death is a pollution of all that is right. And Jesus is angry at his foe. This is why Jesus weeps. His enemy is at the door. I remember as a young child crying and not knowing why. My face was ugly with snot and tears and I couldn't catch my breath as I tried to contain myself. I was asked why I was crying. And in between trying to catch my breath and keep the snot in my nose, I said, I don't know. And they responded, oh, that's okay. I remember when I was a kid, and I cried for no reason. Oh, was that all I thought? No reason. Thank goodness. I thought it was something serious. At least I have the comfort now of knowing that when I grow up, I won't have to deal with this anymore. And I was also taught, that I I picked up anyway, that as I grew up, you lose your emotions. That emotions are a bad thing. After all, there is no reason for it. That's what kids do. But this isn't true. This is a shallow way to view mourning. This is a shallow way to view weeping. Jesus is moved by his anger of death to tears. 
Jesus does not shun Martha or Mary for mourning themselves. That's not why he's angry. He doesn't say, I can't believe you guys don't believe me. I said that I'm the resurrection and the life. You didn't connect the dots? Some of us receive Jesus like that, though. We think of him like, like when we weep, that he's over there going, didn't I tell you you don't have to weep? Didn't I say not to, didn't Paul say, didn't he remind you don't mourn like those without hope? Listen, some of us have, we've picked this up, and it's not true. Weeping is the right response in these situations. Because he's fully human in the proper sense, Jesus shows us that we can trust him by how he emotionally responds to death. He is deeply moved in his spirit. Uh, Many of us, we have an anger problem. Specifically when it comes to death, but it's not, maybe, it's not quite what you think I'm going to say. It's that we just really don't care a whole lot. We lack proper disdain for what is wrong in this world. Our emotions are marred by sin, and we just, we stay numb. We don't want to confront death. And we think by resisting the implications of a Savior who weeps, that somehow we'll be composed longer, that we won't be embarrassed. But we have a Savior who weeps in anger at the enemy of death. And it makes so many of us uncomfortable. We deny the horrendous nature of death. Why don't you believe Jesus when he says that he is the resurrection and the life? Could it be that it makes you uncomfortable to see how emotional he is? Not emotional in the demeaning sense of the word that we use, but in the perfect and whole sense that the God of the universe, that Jesus feels. Jesus feels rightly. He weeps. He gets angry at death. And because of this, we must trust him. If we trust in him, he shows us how to view death rightly. We view it not in dread of our mortality, because we know that Jesus defeats death. We view death not in denial of our mortality, but with the expectation that it does not have the last word. And we don't need to distract ourselves from mortality, but instead trusting in Jesus that he is the resurrection and life, we can hate it rightly. If you don't hate it, then you may come to think of it as normal. Brothers and sisters, there are all sorts of things that are normal, and we ought to hate them. Death is one of these things that we've become accustomed to. And we think it's no big deal. Christ says that it's his enemy. Christ gets angry at death. Don't let the frequency of death move you to accept it. Life is in Jesus not a coping mechanism. Jesus will soften your heart. I know he needs to soften mine. He will give you a heart of flesh to feel and to live rightly. I know that this is painful. I wish I could slow down more. I know that this is painful. But to be fully human, we must feel. Ask the Holy Spirit to soften your heart to comfort you, to order your emotions. He will do it. Others of you do not hate death. And if that's you, I want you, others of you do hate death. And if that's you, I want you to take courage. The God of the universe is right there with you, and he's mad as well. He'll comfort you. Because Jesus is the only Savior who hates 
death and knows he's going to defeat it. He's the only one worthy of your trust as you face death yourself. Because Jesus hates death and weeps at its poisonous effects in our lives, we must trust that he is the resurrection and the life. He'll be with you when you're angry at the right things. Three, third reason, because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, we must trust in Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of life. His enemy is death. The irony is stark. He tells them to roll the stone away, and Lazarus is buried in a tomb like the one that Jesus knows fairly soon he will also be buried in. John wants us to keep in mind that Jesus is shifting here to go to Jerusalem for his own death. Jesus is not merely able to resurrect. He's not merely able to give life like some sort of genie. No, Jesus is. He is the manifestation of resurrection and life. Jesus gives ample reason to believe this is true by actually bringing Lazarus back from the dead. He does not do this in hiding or secret. It's not a magic trick. But before all to see, John tells us that the purpose of writing this book in John 20, verses 30 through 31, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is why he's given us this. This is why it's been recorded for us. Will you take hold of it this morning? The average American today lives a richer life than previous generations. More comforts and less discomforts, more technologies and advances. Yet, if you ask for an actual quality of life report from people, we'll see that it's lower than previous generations. That depression is higher, that loneliness is the highest it's ever been in our country. It's not enough to just avoid death or thinking about it. We also have to have life. When Jesus raises Lazarus from death, we mustn't forget that he does this with purpose. It's not merely to bring him back. He is the resurrection and the life. In other words, he is the way to live whole. Sometimes we have this idea that what we read in the Bible is merely a collection of stories, as if it does not matter if this truly happened or not. Listen, if Lazarus was not really dead... And if Jesus didn't really raise him, let's just stop here. But he was dead. And Jesus truly did raise him. John retains the detail like five different times that Lazarus was in the grave for four days. That he really is dead. Uh, Martha is considered the sister of the dead brother. Are you skeptical? Are you skeptical of Jesus' power over death? The historicity of this resurrection is sound. In verse 37, John tells us that some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And we wonder that. If God is so great, if he is so powerful, why why didn't he intercede? See, John shows us the power of Jesus over death. That Jesus has it himself. He has life himself. He has resurrection himself. And just like those who witnessed these events, we are left with two options. We read in verses 45 through 48 how the people responded to Jesus' miracle. 
One, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Two, but some of them, uh uh-oh, they went to the Pharisees and they told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. And if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. One group responds by believing in Jesus. Another group responds by believing in themselves. One group recognizes the love, emotion, and power that demonstrates Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Another group recognizes the same, but is driven by fear of losing their power and position and place. What is it you're afraid of losing? Jesus says that he is the life. You will not find it anywhere else. Is it your place? Is it your autonomy? These are the things that the Jewish leaders were afraid of. Now, ironically, uh, in 70 AD, uh, it's burned down. And they lose all of their place and power and positioning. And John knows this in retrospect. Listen, if you're clinging to something in this life to be your life, it will not last. Cling to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. He is your resurrection. He is your life. Like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, the disciples and the people of Jesus' time, we're confronted by death. And without placing our trust in Jesus, we will either dive into existential dread, dig our heels in denial, or drive ourselves as deep as possible into distractions. Instead, we can trust Jesus for how he loved, for how he wept, and for how he ultimately raised and how he defeats death. He has shown us how to face death well. Because he is the resurrection and life, we must trust in him to face death. We're too reminded of the question that Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are good. Lord, we thank you that you give us yourself, that you don't just tell us things, Lord, but you give us yourself. You provide for us that we may live and have life in you. We thank you, God, that you're the God of life, that your enemy is death. Would you move in our hearts and our minds to live this life according to how you lived and to face death well? Amen.